This is episode nine of the Rising Man podcast with Jeffrey Jordan and action. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Rising Man podcast. I'm your host and the creator of the show, Jedi Azuma, and I am so excited to be rounding out week and episode nine of the Rising Man podcast. It's been an incredible journey so far. So many exciting things happening, and I'm so excited to bring on today's guest. Jeffrey has made his life's work about facilitating the development of leadership and life skills for young people. After growing up as an only child to a single mom in New York City, Jeffrey experienced a rise to success during the advent of online sales and marketing and the dawn of the internet. A twist of fate led Jeffrey to rediscover and redefine himself, identifying a higher calling in his life that led him down the path of mentoring at-risk youth. Today, as the CEO of Sportica Sports, which is a massive youth athletic development facility in New Jersey, Jeffrey has helped design and implement training programs that enhance both youth athletic skills and personal leadership qualities. He's also the founder of the Good Works Mentoring Academy and the mindful co-founder of KidGrit. Above all, Jeffrey Jordan is a wealth of information and experience. Let me tell you guys, Jeffrey is one of my mentors, one of my close friends and brothers, and he has taught me so much in our relationship. I'm so happy to share with you guys what he knows in his story. Some of the things we talk about are the rise and fall of a man, his story through the trials and tribulations of becoming a man and discovering his true path in this life, how our experience either shapes us or destroys us, what it means to be resilient and gritty, and how it can leave an impact on the next generation of young leaders. This guy is so committed to his work and to the youth. It's unbelievable. I'm so grateful to know him and to share him with all of you today. So without further ado, I present to all of you guys, Jeffrey Jordan. What's up, Jeffrey? It's good to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much for being here with us today, taking some time out of your day. How are you doing over there in Jersey right now? I'm doing extraordinary, Jetty. Good to uh, see you. Good to speak to you. Um, really great day in, in New Jersey today. The weather was uh, LA-like, uh, 75. It was, it was a good day. Like Ice King yeah. would say, today was a good day. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but listen, man, I've been looking forward to this. And you have an incredible story to share about this topic of resilience, of grit, of what it means to hit your bottom find yourself and rise back to the top. Where I'd like to start is by asking you a question I ask every one of my guests now. To you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? That is a good question. And I think the the old adage is, you know, youth, youth is wasted on the young, right? So, <laughs> um, I, I look at, at young people and um, I always tend to to say, wow, if they, they had the wisdom of the lessons, you know, uh, or an understanding of, um, certain life lessons that you go through at that young age, and they could they could make some adjustments on the fly, right? They could they could um, make some decisions uh, in real time that could save them pain and heartache. When I look at a boy, the boy has the freedom to make mistakes, whereas mm. the the man from society is not supposed to make those same mistakes. But if he is if he has self awareness. He's okay with these so-called mistakes and he can just continue to turn them into lessons. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I think a lot about, you know, the child on the stove, right? The child puts it on that stove, he's gonna burn his hand. And I guarantee you, he's not gonna, you know, put that hand up there again after learning that hard lesson. But where wisdom comes in is it's the little boy or girl who's the same age that witnesses that boy or girl put his hand in the flame and get burned. And they learn from it and say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burn my hand like that. You know, yeah. to answer your question, I just think that there's there's more freedom uh f- from a boy to to make certain mistakes and maybe more impulsive mistakes. And for a man, there's more responsibility with your actions because mm. you know, at a certain point you should you should know uh you know better, right? If you know better, you mm-hmm. you do better, and I think that that's that's a difference. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. I'm starting to see a common thread come through uh, on these responses from the guys who I've had on the show. That there's an element of accountability, of responsibility that a man takes for himself that a boy does not. Correct. Does either does not yet know how to, or is not yet willing to, or in for, in some respect 
I'm capable of doing that. So that's uh, it's interesting to see that that keeps coming back around. I, I appreciate that answer. Yeah, so, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to tap on it. Is that it's there is there's a disconnect with the boy, mm. right? There's a disconnect with with actions and accountability. And and for mm. and for a man, you want to eliminate that disconnect that knows that the actions, you, you know, you, you have a certain responsibility and, and accountability to, to those actions. Well, that's good, man. That's, that's a great, uh, that's a great transition point into what we're here to talk about today is this, this resilience, this grit. I know that you, you have a tremendous story and what I'd like for you to do first is tell us a little bit about that story, just so that the people who are listening, the guys who are listening have some context behind where, where you got to in your life at an earlier stage in life before I ever knew you. And what happened? How did it unravel? What were some of the things that came up for you? And um, and I'll, I'll poke around and add some questions in in between. Yeah, you know, I, I've you know thought so long and hard about it. And before I kind of give you some context or some background, you know, one of the things that I always get is like, oh man, you, you know, you you were up there. Like, how did it fall apart? Right? How did it? Un- you use the word unravel. Like, how did how did it do that? And now I'm so comfortable with the fact that it wasn't falling apart. It was falling together. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you need to deconstruct before you can, you know, reconstruct. And and that's been something in my life that I've been involved in with business and with, with projects is that it just seems like I'm always in the middle of something that I need to take it apart. Mm-hmm. Right. I need to take it apart and completely deconstruct it before I can rebuild it again. And that's painful, painful work. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, growing up, I I, I, I was born in uh, Indiana in the Midwest, and uh, I, I just grew up, you know, playing ball. Mom and dad, you know, uh, married very young because that's that's what you did back then, right? You get, you know, you get married after you get out of, out of uh, high school. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my dad went off to Vietnam and, you know, my mom went into a different direction and actually went on vacation. It's the spirit of my mom. She went on vacation in New York City and she called my grandmother and said, send the boy. <laughs> send the boy send the boy so i was put on an airplane and flown to new york uh, so, and then I, I i was raised in new york by a single mom who you know had, had addiction problems and I, I was i was on my i was surrounded by so much love but i was on my own it's like you know mm-hmm. those, those stories where i was i was taking care of my mom when i was a young age um you know, with addiction and alcoholism, a lot came with that with responsibility of digging deep and, and finding strength because that's, I didn't have any choice, you know, either that mm-hmm. I would have I've gotten eaten up in the world. So I was able to identify some of my strengths as a, as a boy, as an athlete. It, it was painful a lot. You know, my, my mom did not gain sobriety until I was a young adult. So I, I lived through that and that was pretty much, you know, my upbringing. But with my athletic ability, I, I found myself uh, being recruited into private schools where I had no business being in, you know, but it was like, I was like a stranger in a strange land. But I never I never wanted for anything. You know, I never missed what I, I didn't miss what I never had, you know, so not having a father, I, I didn't miss it because I, I didn't I didn't know any different, you know, like I saw. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because that was actually the question I was wondering is, is how did you feel about all that? You know, what did you feel the absence of your father? Did you feel that your mother was, you know, battling addiction? How, how was that for you at that time? To me, that was normal. That, that was my normal. Mm. I mean, I, I didn't feel the loss of my father until he called me when I was 32 years old. Wow. I met my father for the first time when I was 32, when I was a grown man and had children myself. But that that's a completely different story. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, growing up, I, I didn't I didn't know any better. Like I, I thought that, you know, that's what kids had to do, you know, is, is is be strong and take care of, you know, their their mothers. And I think because of that, I became a very good friend. Right. You know, I became, you know, Captain Sabum mm-hmm. in my journey in, into manhood, which is uh, great for the topic of your, your podcast, is, you know, I had to overcome my character flaw of internalizing everything until I found the answer mm-hmm. and then applying that fix. And, and Jetty, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I didn't find the answer for seven or eight mm-hmm. years. So you can imagine how that would affect my relationships and um, friendships and, and, and marriage and uh, relationships because I'm like, I'm, I was one of those guys like, all right, give me a minute. <laughs> I'll figure it out. 
you know it's good for it's good for guys who are listening to hear that you know coming from a guy who's you know 51 years old who you know we haven't gotten there yet but you know the roller coaster of life that sometimes these lessons take years yeah. to set, sink in sometimes these solutions to these challenges we have it's not overnight man and and you know just as well as i do that my generation and younger we're used to all right what's the quick solution what's the insta fix what's the you know dollar menu solution to, to my problem yeah. And, and it's not always like yeah, that. And, yeah, not at all. I mean, I've, I've learned more about that and overcoming that and asking for help, mm. knowing that I don't have the answers and, and, and things of that nature uh, more as I've gotten older. And, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, I'd love to share is that, you know, you don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to have the answers, you know, as long as you can stay open with your loved ones, um, you know, you, you can work it out. Um, but I was always clinging, you know, the bear in the honey pot. Mm-hmm. I was just having this conversation the other day. Even though I never had a contract, basketball has brought me millions, millions of not dollars, but millions of opportunities and, and riches and relationships and networking. And, and that, that's really what, you know, I spend time with young people saying is that, you know, this passion, it's not all about getting to a certain level but it's about what you can accumulate along the way that can, you know, impact your life. Um, you know, uh, just because of your relationships in athletics is, you know, networking and opening a door and, you know, the car- the teamwork and cooperation and um, inspiration and overcoming adversity, all of these things add up to, to lessons that guess what colleges look for in students, employers look for in employees. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, I, I, I always had a, an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, as a hard worker uh, from the beginning. I got very, very, very lucky. I was uh, in the uh, healthcare field doing some consulting work. And I had some friends that had just gotten involved in, in this thing called the Internet, e-commerce. And, um, you know, they asked me to join this, this little team that they had. It was like the wild, wild west on the Internet. There was no rules we got into a nutritional um, supplement branding business where we created brands and we created high quality products through different you know, labs across the country. And we private labeled nutritional supplements. I'll never forget that. That first month we got together and we said, okay, well, you know, we need, you know, we need $4,000 to make this, this product. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? You know, put it on American Express. Oh, okay, let's hope for the best. We made three million dollars in the first year. <laughs> oh my gosh! So, so this is this is the story of the climb. This is this, like this, this is the climb. climb. The yeah. Not even ro- they, rocket boosters on you guys. With their climb, you know, I had a young family, and it was my first experience of true entrepreneurship, and you know, actually building quality, tangible business. Even though it was an internet-based business. Um, and that three million parlayed into you know twelve and, and eighteen, and then you're talking about multiple warehouses, global distribution, and, and all of these other things. Right. Um, but it, it was it was frail because it was all dependent upon the the marketing and the eyeballs you can get, you know, uh, on the internet, you know, the, the Google and all of these other things. So mm-hmm. make a long story short, when the economy crashed, you know, things uh, attempted to go more virtual, which was the right thing to do. But my world changed a lot because I did, I did the, the distribution, all of like the hard, real, you know, um, tangible uh, aspects of the business and in going more, more virtual, that's what goes first. Right. So, you know, my role changed, my role changed a little bit and and I transitioned out of that business. Uh, This message is that I did find success, but it came at a cost. It came at a cost of, of me having to feed the monster, mm. right? So I created this monster and I'm talking about two homes, you know, one in Miami, one in New Jersey, several cars. And this is what, this is the, the very funny part of it. I'm not materialistic and I wasn't even materialistic when I was accumulating these things. It was just like a natural progression. So I never like flossed or said, oh, I have two homes or I have this or I have that. I was just enjoying the freedom that I had. So what was what was that about? If, if that was something that wasn't really your, it wasn't your aim, right? Your aim was not to have multiple homes and, and all these 
you know, toys and stuff to play around with. What what was happening? So when I was building the house in Miami, it was the time of, now I'm really dating myself, Hurricane Katrina, if you can believe that. Oh, yeah. What people forget is that Hurricane Katrina came over Florida first mm. before it got to the Gulf and then ultimately destroyed New Orleans. And in that first path, it it, it knocked some things down with, with my home. My wife got scared. Uh, she didn't want to leave her family. We said, all right, well, we, we have to find a home. We found a home, built a home in New Jersey while that was still being done in, in Miami. Mm-hmm. So it was like an afterthought for me. I'd already put down a deposit. It wasn't a, it wasn't a dream. It wasn't until I had moved into my new house in New Jersey when I got a phone call. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Jordan, your house is, is ready. And I said, oh, I know my house is ready. I'm in my living room right now. Thank you very much. And they're like, no, th- this, is, this is Miami, Florida. I'm like, oh, my God. What do I do now? So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to put up, I'm going to have to close on this house and then I'm going to have to flip it. Right. You know, now, now I become a, now I become a real estate mogul. I know nothing about the business. So, 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 so catch me up for a second. So you, you had all these things happening that you weren't even, you weren't even aware of. Yeah. There was such a delay. There was such a delay in the construction of it. It was an afterthought. Got it. Got it. And it was like months and months between communication. I didn't know what phase the house was in. So I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to put, put more money into this and close it so I, I can at least flip it. There's two, there's two lessons in that right now. When you're self-employed and you need to make a major purchase, you better make sure you put aside taxes oh, on that, that money that you There it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, say I dropped 100000 to close the deal. You do the math. I, I would about 30 grand, you know, on that transaction, which in my spirit of there's always a brighter day, there's always a brighter tomorrow, there's always another day to make money. I was like, I'm not going to sweat it right now. I'm going to do what I have to do. And then I'm going to flip the house. Here, everything went wrong. It, it already started going wrong, but here's what went wrong. I called up my buddy and I said, hey, man, I said, I'm going to rent a U-Haul. I'm going to take all this furniture that, you know, the extra furniture I had from, from my original move. And I said, I'm just going to take it down there. We'll set it up and then help me sell the house. We drove 24 hours in a U-Haul to get down. And when we got there, it was like paradise. I had a pool in the back. It was on a lake, on a reserve, on this other stuff. And I was like, maybe I can pay these mortgages both at the same time. So now I'll flash forward. I fell in love with the house. I didn't want to rent it. I started going down every month. I, I, I established some business down in Florida. So everything was flowing. Um, I was carrying $12,000 a month in mortgages. Just mortgages. Just just to keep the house. Just mortgages. That's it. Nothing else. Just that. And I did that for five years and was never late. So I had a good run. So so let let me pause you there for a second. So while that's happening, you know, I know what it takes. There's a lot of hustle involved in that, even if you are on the right side of of the economy. So mm-hmm. what were you starting to miss? What was starting to be dropped out before you, before you even became aware of it? What were some of the things you were starting to drop out? My health started to drop out. I gained about twenty pounds. I, I found myself on three different medications, um, cholesterol, allergies, things of that nature. And then like the whole perfect storm happened. So with this um, business success, I fulfilled a dream of mine and I created a nonprofit organization, Mm. which is called the Good Works Foundation. And I had this masterful plan. I said to myself, I'm not going to anybody to ask for money. I'm going to create this program. I'm going to prove it because I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give it away. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask for support and funding. Mm-hmm. And Jetty, it worked. It worked. But I funded it every year. For how long? About $70,000 a year for the first three years. Mm-hmm. And I put my own money into it. And, and we, we, we had proof. You know, you and I talk about this all the time. We had data. Mm-hmm. We had proof. So it was easy to get grants at that point. Because mm-hmm. they looked at me and said, this man put his money where his mouth was. He, he did everything. Now, you know, the United Way funded us, the Division of Children and Family Services. We'd go to schools and we were superheroes because we said, we come bearing gifts. We have a, an after-school mentoring program and you don't have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Send, us, send us your tired and you're depressed and you're, you know, 
bad kids, you know, send, send them all to us and, and, and we're going to create a family. And that's exactly what we did. And it was powerful. So was that, was that some of that captain save them coming back into the picture? That, that spirit of like, I could save them. I could, I could, I could save people. It, it wasn't about save them, but the great part about it was I would, I would, I would go to these schools and I would challenge them. I said, give me the 50 kids that you want to send out of here. Give them, give them to us. We want to hang with them, you know, and you know, we do work together. You know, the deal. I mean, I, that's where I shine in those environments right? Um, because I was one of those kids. Right. So, you know, that's what happened. But to, to answer your, your question, I had this monster of a business and it was feeding my, my lifestyle, but it was also feeding my nonprofit, right? My success as a businessman fed the nonprofit and fed my lifestyle until the point where I remember the day, Jetty, is I was so frustrated with things. I shut the door mm-hmm. and I looked up mm-hmm. and I said, hey, I said, I need help. And it was the first time in my life that I said, I can't do this on my own. Within 45 days, I had completely lost all my income in my business, or I'd say 97% of my income as I knew it. I lost 97% of my income. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from the agency that was our primary funder. And they said, even though you're one of our favorite programs, you show the best results, we can't fund you anymore because with the economy crash, the, 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 the funding funnel changed. So instead of uh, funding four programs of different sizes in different counties, it was one. So now I was competing against much larger, larger organizations that serve 20,000 kids and I only served, you know, 400. So she said it was very difficult, but you know, we just have enough for the rest of the cycle and then things have to change. So, so let's, so that before, like right at that moment, like in those 45 days when things are starting to crumble and unravel, what were, what were some of the emotions that came up? Cause it sounds to me like that's not exactly what you were expecting when you asked for help. <laughs> Yeti, Yeti, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this. I damn sure didn't say thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That wasn't my first impulse as it is right now upon reflection. My first impulse was like, Oh, what am I going to do? I'm going down unless I I do something. But I did not want to go back to that life. Mm. I had to look within and say, for me to do anything that I want to do, and I I knew I wanted to work with kids and I wanted to create a life out of it. Um, But I also knew I wasn't an employee. You know what I mean? I just, it wasn't where I was. Um, and I, I just remember saying that everything has to change in order to do that. I need to get healthy. Mm. I, I need to transform myself first. And then that really started the next phase of my life. Mm. And, you know, I did that by saying I have to go back to my roots and I have to get into shape. Mm. And that, that changed a lot for me, you know? Yeah, man. Wow. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful story. Every time I hear it, it's just like gives me chills. Before we before we start leaning into the rise and how you know what you were able to build back up from this, just tell me what are some of the things you learned about yourself when you were when you were lying on the ground staring up at everything that had just fallen down. I always identified. It's a horrible way to think of it, but I always identified as that guy from Raging Bull Mm. who was getting pulverized you know, at round 15 and he was hanging on the ropes and he went up to, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson at the end of the fight and said, Hey, you didn't knock me down. <laughs> you know, like, I, like that's the feeling like I have, like I can, I can take a punch. So when I was gone from this, I was just like, boom, boom. And I learned something very, very valuable. And, and, and if I can just share this right now, don't ever, ever ask what else can happen. You know, one thing that I think about all the time, even in the space that I am right now, without getting getting deep is that it's never over it's just going to be different you don't 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 worry it's never going to be over it's just going to be different you know um, if you want to get deep you can look at that, that like life right really going to be over it's just energetically and spiritually it's just going to be different right so when i looked at you know what was happening to me is I just said, everything is going to look different. So now it's my opportunity to try to blueprint what I do want to do. 
right? Because Mm -hmm. I've made millions, I've lost millions, and I know the direction that I'm going, you know, back. Mm -hmm. And it's it's when I really started to think about um, what gifts do I have, right? What currency do I have? Mm -hmm. You know, not, not how much money do I have, but what can I give this world that is truly authentic to, to myself? When you're working with children, they look at you with this certain gaze or they don't, or they don't look at you, right? You know, they look at you <laughs> as somebody who is larger than life, is, you know, a, a, a beacon. And it's just kind of like, that's the child, this is the adult, and this is the mentoring relationship, right? What I learned is that I had a tremendous effect on my peers and adults and families and moms and dads. And it was tapping into a gift that I didn't know I had and I didn't know how to control that energy. And then I really started to get into the energetic world and and how to um, take care of your gifts and, and, and share them appropriately with boundaries and, and, and understanding and, you know, how to, you have to take care of yourself first before, you know, you can, you know, take care of other people. But that, that's kind of like uh, where my, my next stage of, of my life went. Well, that's, and that's a good place to transition into. Um, if you could talk a little bit about, you said you recognize you had to take care of yourself first. So here you are sitting on the bottom, looking up at everything that, that just kind of seemed to slip away and you, you decided to focus in on you. So, so why, why focus on you first? Why was that so important? Um, I didn't feel good. I didn't, I didn't feel good. And I knew I, I complained and I don't know if you have days like this, you know, I know you're a very grounded, mindful person, but do you have like 10 hours at work (laughs) and you're driving home and you're like, man, I I worked so hard today. And you say to yourself, what, what did I accomplish? (laughs) What, what, What did I do? I don't, I completely forgot anything that I just did. So you know, I started to really get into, you know, mindfulness and, and, and breath. It really started innocently. My, my little girl was in karate. She was like three or four years old. And the karate teacher had sent a, uh, an email home to the parents and said, calling the parents, if you want to get back in shape, this is for you. This is a boot camp. And I'm like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And I said, I'm an athlete. I'm going to throw up my hood. I'm going to go there at 6 a.m. I'm going to get my, my, my workout on and I'm going to make a comeback. That's, 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 my, that's how I put it, right? I'm in, a, I'm in a war. I'm in a fight. I'm fighting an unknown enemy, right, mm-hmm. which is life. And I said, this is mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. And um, this is a very, very important part of, of the, uh, the story because I got there at 5.45 a.m. I had my hood up, right? you know, covering my eyes, walked in there with these strangers. There was 31 other people there, all walks of life, all walks of life. And, um, you know, they started out and I remember the instructor said, okay, uh, get in lines of two and run, you know, you're going to run to the end of the mat, touch the, you know, bend down, touch the mat and then run back. You know, it's like in basketball, you know, playing basketball, it's okay. I'm going to do suicides. I get, I had this woman who was in my line and, I go down there and I do it. And, you know, it was a very supportive class. So everybody was clapping and I go down there and, and I come back and I, I clap and I'm kind of like, you know, keeping to myself. And this woman uh, goes, goes down and runs, runs to the end line and she bends down and she turns around and she was about, she was about 400 pounds, Jetty. She was about 400 pounds. And she's running towards me and she looks at me and she just, bust out into tears she was she was crying where I looked at her and I connected with her I just grabbed her like you know like in my in my arms and I said damn I'm not here for myself this is not for me right Mm. now I I was selfish for that first 20 minutes of saying that this was my journey this was for me yeah I'm getting back in shape but I realized that maybe my role here is to help this woman save her life that's how I learned everything about transformation. And, and, the, and the easiest way to transform yourself is to be a part of somebody else's transformation. Wow, that's that's huge, man. And I think that something I've heard from other people before is in those times when you're when you're in some of your darkest times and you're feeling lost, you don't know what to do, whatever it might be, 
to simply just find a way to be of service because yes. there's something that flips a switch in our minds and our hearts that is is critical. And maybe you could just speak a little more to that because I think that's a big piece. For me, that changed everything because then I saw people wanting to hear more from me where I was reserved, as I told you in the beginning. But I went from being a student in that, in that very tiny boot camp in Englishtown, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I joined forces with the gentleman who started this, this boot camp program. It was called Max Fitness. It's now all over the country. And I built the very first dedicated Max Fitness Center. So I, I had a, a mind, body, spirit transformation center for adults. And I had a great three, four year run with that. Um, and then they, they turned it into a franchise model. And, you know, I guess you could tell from speaking to me for the last 30 minutes, I'm not really a franchise type guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a very creative and I enjoyed the creative process of that. But then it was time for me to, to, to move on. But I created another successful business. So, you know, like like that movie, I was bad. I made some money and built that business and, and got stable again and, and got secure. Uh, and I did it through serving other people. Well, and that's and that's beautiful, man. Uh, that's that's what I've I've gotten from your story so far is that you you discovered that you were a fighter. You discovered that no matter how many, no matter after that first big collapse in your life, and you picked yourself back up from there. It's almost like anything could come your way, and you were going to treat it the same way, like just another fight. And I'm thinking about the guys who are listening to this podcast, whoever is out there right now who are going through their own battles, their own fight, their own challenge, and thinking about what are, what are the things that they need to know about getting back up for that fight? What are the things that men who are encountering some of these big challenges, these big breakdowns for the first time, what do they need to know? And what's going to help them rise above and pick themselves up? Um, I'll, I'll share with this. I alluded to it before. My, my mom is, has always taught me this and it, it makes more sense to me now is that she always told me all my life, she said, simply show up. So one of the things that helped me a great deal, and, and I'll, I'll give this practical guidance, is that I made it about a greater purpose than myself. I stopped listening to my own BS, right? I stopped um, saying, de dealing really with my, 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 you know, bitching and moaning of my feelings and made it more about the people that were counting on me, my children, my family, to get myself back up, right? That's what I had to do. So I've worked with a, enough people as a life coach and as a health and wellness coach that, you know what? Some people don't have those people in their life. They don't have children. They don't have a family. They, they don't have this. So this is where I challenge them. You mentioned before, you mentioned it, actually, you mentioned to me personally before we started, you said the kids are always watching, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So my kids were watching me, but to these people that might be listening that say, well, I don't have somebody that counts on me. I don't have kids. Guess what? Strangers watch. Mm -hmm. Strangers can, can find that inspiration and that motivation from how you carry yourself. And, and this is where it really gets scary. It's so much bigger than ourselves right? It's so much bigger than anybody that's listening, their personal situation, because it could impact five, 10, 10,000, you know, thousands of people, you know, based on how people perceive you. Maybe that's what they needed in their life at that very moment to overcome something that they were doing. And I found the most times when you can point that out, or you can witness it as a voyeur, you can see how other people are reacting and point that out. That is so powerful mm -hmm. because it allows it allows you to be driven by a purpose that's greater than yourself. Mm. I love that, man. That's that's such a great take home pearl for for all of us to remember that when we make it about ourselves, we get like the superpower. It's like uh, I heard somewhere the other day. I don't remember who said it, but um, you know, we'll sell ourselves out in a minute. You know, if it's if it's if it's about doing something so that we'll get some benefit, we'll give up as soon as things get tough. But if it's if it's your family member, if it's your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your your best friend, your your college roommate whose life is on the line, you would do anything, anything, even if it's a stranger, even if it is a stranger's life who's on the line. There's been some incredible stories about people who 
put themselves on the line for someone they don't even know. It's just the human nature. So it's, it's such a great reminder, man. And um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit into you, your whole story just bleeds resilience. You know, that that's really that whole spirit of a fighter. But I know there's another word that you love that isn't used as much these days and it's starting to come back and that's the word grit. So, so what is grit and, and what does it look like? Grit, right? So I, I think when you, when you think of grit, you think of, of grinding it out, right? Mm. So I look at resilience and I say resilience is, is getting up time after time over a period of time, right? But, but grit is grinding it out in the right now. Like, come on, get, get through this. So resilience and grit are two different, you know, separate things, Mm -hmm. but it's what our kids are missing now. Um, You know, we, like you just mentioned it, it's a term you don't, you don't hear much. Maybe, you know, uh, a lot of people didn't uh, use those terms in the past, but in in looking back, you can identify who has that quality of, of, of being resilient through difficult times and then who has just this, this hard nosed grit to get through certain things or to, to drive through or to push through when times get really, really tough. Mm. And about you, uh, uh, but the work that I do and the kids that I see, the instant gratification uh, attitudes, the, um, you know, affluence, the, the, the privilege, the entitlement, uh, these are qual- resilience and grit are, are, are qualities that really need to be be taught, right? You know, we need to bring them out of, of, of the kids. And it's, it's so important. So when I look back at my life and I say, "Wow, I I I was resilient over time, and and I was I was gritty," you know, and, and I continue to, to 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 try to do that. You know, now my life is all about teaching that through mentoring and developing content to share with with teachers and, and, and educational leaders and all over the country and and that's what i do now in addition to um uh the role that you you mentioned before is that um you know developing curriculum that will help other youth leaders um engage students in these types of activities mm-hmm. that that can promote uh, resilience and grit it, it's it's something that our generation needs next generation and I, I i you know i agree wholeheartedly that that's something that's missing you know we've we've created a culture in which it's easy for kids to quit and we make it easy for kids to give up we give everybody um yeah i know this is a very uh controversial topic but you know participation medals and giving everybody you know a trophy and, the, and these types of elements you know it, it has it has definitely changed the culture around what it means to endure in order to earn something. So just thinking of the men who are listening to this who are are listening and saying, Wow, you know what, I don't really feel very resilient or I've been I've been knocked down a bunch of times and how does how does someone go about developing or crafting their own resilience and, and developing grit? Great question. Great question. Um I think the the art of reading is uh as lessened over the years, you know, reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but let, let's move into technology. I think that storytelling and, you know, uh, learning about or being exposed to stories of people overcoming certain odds is a great way to start, is a great way to, to, to develop that, that inspiration. I would immerse yourself with people, you know, um, Surround yourself with people that have overcome, right? Because that that's where you find it yourself, you know? So uh, I, I think it's, it's super important to ask for help. We, let's go back to that, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Ask to be around, ask for people to share their stories, similar to what you're, you're doing with me tonight, because there may be p- people on the, on the other side that said, man, you know, I, I lost everything myself. And I felt hopeless and I felt this and, but, but hearing, hearing your story, you know, makes me understand that there is, there is another day. If I keep showing up, there's going to be opportunities, you know, um, and you have to get to that point of being thankful. And, you know, uh, I don't think I've ever shared this with you personally, but I actually go to sleep now 
and I give thanks for my troubles. Mm-hmm. Right? I never, I never thought like I like told you before when it happened. I was like, I would damn sure not saying thank you know thank you for having my life t- torn upside down. But now I'll go to bed and I'll say, you know, thank you for you know allowing me to struggle today because I know that this struggle is going to turn into um, a strength, you know, uh, uh, of overcoming adversity and dealing with yet another level of complexity uh, that, that maybe I didn't have the skills for, but because I'm gritty, because I'm resilient, I'm going to overcome it and learn from it. And I'm going to, I'm going to take that into a lesson of some sorts. So I, I, I give thanks for my, my troubles. I, hopefully I, I don't have to give too much thanks you know, <laughs> uh, in any one given night, but I, I, I try to do that. And I would, I would definitely pass that on to, your listeners. And I think that you you nailed it on the head. What a perfect way to start wrapping up is that get being recognizing that our challenges are what shape our resilience. Our challenges are what shape our grit, our endurance, our skill set, our experience. It, it's all plays into who we become and what we're capable of giving on the other side of that. But it's just like you don't get that. You don't get the candy without putting in the 25 cents. Right. You got it. Yeah. There, there has to be a give. And I think that that's that's really what I've extrapolated from your story is that the degree to which you give and surrender and sacrifice in terms of the challenge allows that greater gift to, to fall. The piece, like you said, the piece is falling into place. Um, mm. There has to be that trust. You said you, you actually got Jedi. That, that was an awesome way to kind of sum this up, because we we talked about surrender. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk that that's a huge part of it. Um, understanding that the adversity is molding you for the next step, right? And you know, it's something that I'm going to be sharing um, Saturday morning with a bunch of eight and nine year old baseball players is having the concept of you know not looking at mistakes as bad things, but looking at mistakes as lessons, you know. And it, we all, we need to do that as adults as well. You know, not so hard on ourselves. Agreed, man. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. So um, awesome, man. I mean, there's you have such wisdom to offer. And thank you for sharing your story so vulnerably, so authentically. Um, we're going to just have to do a part two because I know there's a lot more we could dig into. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So but before I let you go and let you get back to your family, uh, I do want to ask you a few questions that I ask every single one of my guests. What is one thing you wish you knew? when you were a younger man, I usually say like that 18 to 20, early twenties range. What is something you wish you knew then that you know now? That everything is going to be okay. Everything going to be okay, man. That's, that's the third time I've gotten that answer. (laughs) Yeah. That's huge. And, uh, and also what do you think it means to be a man in the modern world right now? I think manhood defined right now has to include the ability to be vulnerable and, and, and to be authentic. And it's something that, uh, as far as the vulnerability is concerned, I don't have a problem sharing my story, but I, I can probably improve on the fact of saying, I, I need some help. Mm. I don't know what it is, but I, but I, I need, you know, I, I need some help. And I, when I've asked for it in the past in my life, good things have happened. Um, uh, but I think in, in this day and age, it's, it's really being in touch with um, your emotions, right? So what I do, uh, you know, in addition to, to leading a major youth development sports complex is I develop social emotional curriculum and try to feed other educators and, and leaders in order to share you know, content with students. So I think that getting in touch as a man with, with your own social, emotional, you know, uh, intelligence, so to speak, is, is probably key. You know, I, I think those days uh, of, the, you know, the good old days is, you know, the, the man being the strong one, the silent one. Um, I think that we see that internalizing everything is very destructive, not only for the man, but for anybody that he loves or, 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 or people who love him. So, mm. right. 
That's beautiful, man. Yeah, the, the vulnerability piece and, and, and really doing yeah. the work yourself. I, I completely resonate with that. So awesome, awesome response to that question. And, and lastly, man, you, you spoke so much about your own story, but let, let, let the people out there know, what are you up to? What are you creating in the world? How can we follow what you're doing and how can we support you? Wow, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, there's uh, I guess there there will be a part two to this um, th this process of this interview with you because um, I actually started working with an organization about a year and a half ago. It's called Sportica Sports. Uh, it's in New Jersey. It is a um, youth. Uh, it's a sports facility uh, focused in on youth development. So it's a, an academy style program where where uh, kids play soccer and baseball and basketball, uh, but it's also a 170,000 square foot monstrous facility, one of the biggest on the East Coast. It has um, the New Jersey's largest indoor uh, soccer field, you know, indoor turf and seven basketball courts, a sports performance training center and physical therapy center, um, an academic center, you know, a school. Um, I de develop a I deliver a life skills curriculum that I've created to all of the teams uh, in the in the organization, and that's rolling out now. Um, I do some work with the Mentor, which is a volunteer organization, and uh, we we mentor. You know, we've mentored over a, more than a thousand now middle middle school boys um, in South Central LA through social emotional workshops and experimental workshops and things like that. So it's really rewarding work. And then um, I alluded to it, but uh, launching a curriculum with a partner of mine, uh, Julia Kabor out in California. Um, and uh, we developed uh, this curriculum called Kid Grit, K-I-D-Grit, G-R-I-T. And it is a five module curriculum that focuses in on the balance of the mind, body, and the spirit, as well as uh, digital and social, uh, uh, I'm sorry, digital consciousness. So a lot of uh, uh, work surrounding social media and um, digital responsibility and digital addiction. And that's, that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half. And after April, it's, it's gonna be on. This, this curriculum uh, will first be piloted at the Sportica Good Works uh, Youth Mentoring Academy and in some other uh, organizations in California this year. And then it'll be for sale all across the country. Uh, so wow. it'll, ch it'll change the game as far as, um, um, you know, youth development work, holistic development, holistic empowerment. And then the last thing I just want to say, because I know you're excited about it, we've also developed a book. We're going to be publishing a book in the next uh, couple weeks, actually. And it is, it, it is a collection of 20, 25 soul-searching, uh, inspired stories from kids that we have mentored over the last 20 years uh, yes. who are now young adults, and uh, they're telling their stories of major things in their lives that they overcame. And then in the summary, we talk about and identify the tools that they used to overcome those obstacles. And mm -hmm. it's in it's in the student's voice. And I just can't wait for that aspect of uh, sharing these stories. And as, as you can probably tell, 25 stories is going to lead to a second edition, 2.0 and then 3.0. Yes, and my life is just getting started. That's awesome, man. It's so many wonderful things that you're up to. What are the, what's the best way for people to follow you and to follow these various projects that you're involved in? What are the, the links, the social media I, I kept it simple. It's it's Jeffrey L. Jordan, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-L as in love, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram handle. You can find me on Facebook there as well. Um, uh, the As I mentioned, I'm the CEO of um, Sportica Sports, and that's spelled S-P-O-R-T-I-K-A sports.com. Uh, you could follow me at the story and everything about our wonderful organization and, and how we're growing into this world. And then um, KidGrit, our, our, our work is about ready to be displayed on uh, kid-grit.com, kidgrit.com. Uh, we have a Twitter handle, YouthWorksGood, and that's YouthWorks spelled W-R-X-G-O-O-D. 
Um, but pretty much you can link everything together just by following my name, Jeffrey L. Jordan. And if nice. Anybody, if anybody does that and it needs a smoke signal or a regular handwritten letter <laughs> or anything, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the interest. Um, and uh, awesome. I'm always up for a good conversation. Awesome, man. And as soon as that book comes out, I'm going to get my hands on a bunch. And I think what I'll do is I'll. And you're gonna get a hat. I have a hat for you. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I got to get my I got to get my gear up yeah. and uh, I'll make sure I grab some books and, and, and do a little little uh, giveaway for my for my audience so we'll support you like that awesome awesome man thank you yeah. so much for yeah. um allowing my voice to be heard um i appreciate that you know really do yes sir yes sir thank you for showing up and being your full and true self and for being just an amazing inspiration man what i'm coming away from with this story is just just an example of one man who keeps pulling himself up over and over and over again and that that's something that we're all capable of every single one of us so absolutely Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, you, brother. Love you, man. There you have it, folks. What an incredible story that Jeffrey has to share. The fall, the rise, and the getting back up again once things have gotten tough. And I feel like Jeffrey's story really embodies that, especially for someone who has rediscovered and redefined himself over many, many years and is really, truly in his power and in his gift now. Such an inspiration. I hope that you guys got as much out of that episode as I did every time I get to hear Jeffrey speak. As always, you guys, if you want to check out the links and resources that were mentioned in this episode, go check out the show notes over at therisingmanpodcast.com. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter so that you guys get instant updates whenever a new episode is launched, whenever there's new content or new opportunities for the Rising Man community. While you're there, make sure you leave a comment or a question for us. Let us know how we're doing. I need your, I need your feedback, guys, so that we can make this podcast even better than it already is. Also, uh, leave a review. And I tell you what, if you screenshot it to me and send it to the Rising Man Podcast at gmail.com, I'll respond to you personally with a heartfelt thank you and a special gift for you. When you guys leave reviews and ratings, it really helps this podcast get out to more men, more people all across the globe that could benefit from being in this conversation and in this dialogue. We're just getting started, you guys. And I know that this podcast is going to be reaching thousands of people all across the world in no time. So please, please, please send a review. Let us know how we're doing. Also, while you're at it, make sure you join the Rising Man Facebook community. This is the place where we can extend the dialogue and the conversation relative to each episode, relative to what each man is going through in his life. Go over to facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. We'll get you into the group. We'll get you caught up with what everybody's up to and share your challenges. Introduce yourself. Let us know what you're going through in your life so that the men can circle around you and support you being the best man that you can be. Reach out to us on Instagram at the rising man pod or my personal Instagram at Jedi Azuma. And last but not least, a big shout out to my man, Sean Offenbach over at less than three records. That's at less than the number three records. Sean has been doing an incredible job now. We're nine episodes deep and they just keep getting better. So lots of love to you, Sean, man. Thank you for everything that you do. And for the rest of us until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.